0: Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Now this morning, I'm going to kind of Go with this and build on it. But before I do that, I want to let you know that part of our vision as a church, as well, is to plant churches, and we have planted a church in Zambia, in Africa, in Livingston in particular, and uh, that church is now expanding out and planted another campus. And in August this year, we'll be planting another campus in the rural area. They've already started a little farm out there, put a well on this farm so that the whole community can access water. And they've started to educate some kids that can't uh, enroll in school. And this is where the church is actually starting. So in August, we're actually going to go over there and commission this work. But we want to send a team as well in, uh, in May to go and minister in the church there in Livingston. So if it, God puts it on your heart to go on a trip over to our church in Livingston and to minister in whatever capacity, uh, I would encourage you to pray about it. We have some forms on the information desk with some of the costing, some of the estimations, the dates, all of that sort of stuff. But consider that maybe you could be a part of a team that would go and equip and encourage and empower the local church in Livingston. And for myself personally, when I've gone on even short-term missions and been exposed to different cultures and different ways of, of worshipping God, it has been uh, an incredible, uh, I guess, privilege and humbling moment to see that, hang on a second, we've got brothers and sisters who do things differently, but they worship the same God. And God is moving and God is doing things. And so I know that I've been just as blessed by going over in teams. We have people who say, you know, you're, you're the Australian. You're anointed. Can you preach for us? Can you pray for us? And I'm like, man, you should be praying for me. Like you got faith, like crazy kind of faith to live and do the things that you guys are doing. But you will be blessed in that. Information is out there. As I said, I'm going to kind of build a little bit this morning on um, the idea that was preached last week, but also something I feel that God had spoken to me about as I was reading and as I was in a, particularly in a prayer meeting. A lot of the messages that I feel to bring in these days are coming from a place of revelation where I feel God is speaking something in the Scriptures to me by His Spirit. And I've got to kind of weigh up, is that just for me? Like, is that just him speaking to me or is that something for me to kind of share with the body? And I feel like this is a word for us this morning. Now, you may have heard me talk about this before, but I had, I've had i got a couple of weird kind of like phobias and uh, working with the Lord on them. One of them is drinking water in front of people. That's why I don't drink when I preach. I can't actually hold the cup. I have like this weird shake that takes place. It's not a manifestation or a demonic thing, I hope. <laughs> Maybe I need to get anointed with oil at the end of the service for that. But uh, it's just something that, I don't know, I just get weirded out. So last time I tried to drink water in front of people, I actually literally had to turn around, drink the water, and then turn back. And I thought, that is too weird to keep doing, so I'm not going to do it. I'll just skull some before I get up here. That's one of my kind of phobias. One of the other ones that I had when I was growing up was a fear of the dark. Anyone else have a fear of the dark when you're growing up? Anyone else still have a fear of the dark? bless you. <laughs> you. You feel my pain then. But I remember growing up and um, we used to live in uh, Holmes West house in Nolomara uh, back in the back in the day, back in the hood. And uh, my parents actually saved enough money to buy a house. And so we purchased a house in uh, Mirabuka. And we're building this house. And you know, when you see the plans of the house, you kind of think you can kind of envision what it's going to be like. And I was the oldest of the kids. And so I actually got to pick the the room that I wanted out of all, all of the kids. Um, so I got three little sisters and I got to choose the room. And so I'm looking at the plans, and then I couldn't really understand, but when the, the house was built, I actually chose the room, and you're going to think I'm a genius for this. I chose the room that was closest to the toilet, right? Because we had a long hallway and there was no light in the hallway. And so my thinking is if I'm going to get up during the night and need to go to the toilet, I want to take the safest, shortest route possible because I don't like walking in the dark and if you if you remember back to ever walking in hallways in the dark when you were young that was like terrifying that's where the monsters were that's where the the serial killers hung out and so you had to like run you know what I'm talking about to get from one end of a hallway to the other it was like Usain Bolt type stuff like they should run the hundred meter dash in a dark hallway I would have won it but that was kind of where my, you know, my anxiety and my fears were. So I thought I'd plan, uh, yeah, I'd plan that. So I just had to go to the toilet. Didn't consider my little sisters at all because they'd have to walk through the, the murder-infested hallway to go to the toilet. But it was all right because I was safe. Anyway, what I didn't factor into my calculations was that I would get thirsty during the night and I would have to walk the whole hallway to go and get water. And so I I factored in one, but I didn't do the other. My calculations were incorrect. And it ended up being that I did at times have to run to the kitchen to get some water. But then, and you'll appreciate my genius in this, came to a point where I realised that if I called my (laughs) mum, she would bring me water. And so there would be times where I would stick my head out the door and I would call, begin to call and beckon mother. And you know the call that kind of increases, and the mums are probably going to recognise this. It starts off with mom. and then it's a little bit longer. Mum. And then it gets a Yeah, you got it. You keep practising. And then it gets a little bit longer. Mum. And then if you're, like, in a good mood, you can chuck some singing. Mum. But it always ends like this, Mum. And then Mum would be like, "What?" And I'll be, "I want some water. Can you get me some water?" And you know what she would say, "Scott, you are eighteen years old. Get up and get your own water." And I'll be like, "No." But now I reflect on this in my healed state, and I realise that there was one thing that could have changed the whole dynamic of that traumatizing event and that was to put a light in the hallway because if we had a light in the hallway then we wouldn't have had to worry about it i feel this morning to encourage us that jesus is in the midst of the darkness that we see right now and that he has called us to be light in the darkness and that we are to interpret what is taking place around us, not from the darkness, from, but from a place of light. I'm going to read a scripture that may seem a little abstract and has a potential to perhaps disturb and um, challenge some of our thinking, which is a good thing, I think, when you approach the scriptures. If you're never challenged to change your mindset, then you're probably reading from the wrong perspective. Because God's ways are higher than ours, and his, his scriptures are always going to challenge us. So, this is from Matthew chapter 10, and it's verse 26 through to 31. It says, But don't be afraid of those who threaten you, for the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to you, to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when the daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, Shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it, and the very hairs on on your head are all numbered." So don't be afraid, for you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. This passage actually takes place, it's always good to look at the context of where we're reading when we're reading a a little chunk of scripture. It takes place, obviously, in Matthew chapter 10. And in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending his disciples out. We kind of did this last week. We anointed people. We believe that people are being released out into the places that that God has called them to. And so he sends them out, but he he sends them out not wanting them to be ignorant or to be surprised by what they're going to encounter. And so he actually gives them all of these different things that are probably going to take place. They're going to get abused. They're going to be hated. They're going to be uh, kicked out of certain places because of what they say and what they preach. They're going to experience... Opposition, and they're going to experience persecution. And in this passage here, he's actually telling them, you should not be afraid of those who threaten to kill you. He tells them that there is a place of darkness that is currently covered, but in time, all of the things that need to be revealed will be revealed. As we estimate what is taking place around us, we see and we look and we see darkness everywhere. It's not hard to see And to get an idea of the brokenness of the world which we live in. We hear of earthquakes. We hear of wars. We hear of all of these things that are taking place. We hear the words of the prophet Isaiah being um, lived out now. Where people call what is good evil. And they call what is evil good. We see the confusion. We see the hurt. We see the pain that people are causing one another. And the compounding nature of trauma that is taking place in our world. Not hard to see. And it's not hard to interpret that stuff from a worldly kind of perspective that the world's just lost its mind. But I suggest to us, Jesus also has a way of interpreting what is taking place right now in this world. And his interpretation is not based on the temporary, on the natural, but on what is to happen and what is to come. It's almost like if, if anyone like making cakes here couple of people, can you guys like make something please? I'm hungry. (laughs) Uh, Anyone like eating cakes? Probably more hands go up, yeah? Yeah, good. So if you were to walk into, you know, you had no concept of what it meant to make a cake or what it looked like to make a cake and you walked into the phase where someone is making a cake and they've just put all the ingredients in the bowl and you see like the flour and the eggs and the other stuff that goes into cakes, which I don't really know, but you see all of the ingredients in the bowl and that is the first perspective that you have of a cake, then you're going to be a little confused at what is taking place. But the baker who is baking the cake obviously knows from the point of ingredients to the mixing, to the baking, to the final product. So God knows what is taking place from the beginning to the end. We have walked into a certain part of history. We've been born into this by design. It is God's intention that we're here right now. He sets the boundaries of our lives. But we have walked into a certain time and we are at risk of interpreting the beginning and the end based by what only we see happening right now. And so Jesus gives us a perspective that says that what is taking place right now is actually preparing something, is going to be bringing something to to take place. So I suggest to us that things maybe aren't necessarily falling apart, they're falling into place. God's purposes are always going to be outworked. His will is always going to be outworked. And what he says there is that there is a time coming when those things that have been covered would be revealed. This is an ap- what we call an apocalyptic time. Apocalyptic or apocalypse, you might think of like dark and scary movies where things are blowing up, but that word actually means to bring revelation, to unveil, to uncover what is already taking place. The book of Revelation in the Bible is an apocalyptic book. It's what we call apocalyptic literature. It points to a revelation, a revealing of that which is going to happen. And so Jesus gives us this Understanding that all of these things that are happening right now, all of those things, you need to look at them not from today's perspective, but from the, the perspective of eternity. And he says that there is a time coming when that will all be revealed. There will be a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There will be a time when that takes place. When every word that was spoken against him will be shown to be incorrect, where every accusation that was made against God will be revealed to be incorrect. And in that time, Jesus will ultimately be vindicated, which means shown innocent or proven to be right where things had been spoken against him. And our role as we're leading up to that is to keep a mind, a mindset that is fixed on eternity, not just the here and the now. And that will help us then to work through and to walk through everything that comes in our lives. So let me say this. Jesus is very, very present and he's very, very active in the darkness. He says this. Don't be afraid of those who threaten you for the time is coming when everything is co- that is covered will be revealed and all the secrets will be made known to all. Now listen, in 27. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when the daybreak break comes that says to us that jesus speaks even in the darkness what i say to you in the darkness shout abroad when the daybreak comes it's it can be really really easy to equate darkness the presence of darkness with the absence of god we may think that because it's all falling apart, it feels like it's all dark, it's all gloomy, it's all, all these things are happening, that the presence of darkness means there's an absence of God. But the scriptures constantly point to the presence of Jesus in the midst of the darkest of dark. He is not afraid of the dark. He is not afraid of the darkness. And he has the power to redeem that which is dark and turn it into light. He and He alone has the power to do this. And so He says, What I say to you in the darkness. Now, this goes to us as a church in the the present era that we're in. The Lord is leading and guiding and speaking, He's showing us things from His scriptures, He's illuminating His word to our hearts, He's quickening those things to our hearts. So that we can navigate what is taking place. So that we can be equipped and empowered for the ministry that he's put before us. He speaks in what we think may be darkness. But it also has application to our personal lives. Do you know those moments in time when you are walking through what you feel is never going to end? In those times that you feel where everything is just, you've lost control. Where, where, where things are falling apart over and over again. And you're kind of at that place where you're like, I don't know if I could go any further. I don't know if I could go any longer. I want you to know Jesus is there. Jesus is there and he's speaking. His word is as alive and active in the darkness as it is wherever else we think we are. And it's often in those moments in life that we need to hear from him the most. That we need to, to open, his, open the word and to ask him, speak to me, God, show me what it is. What is your word for this moment, for this season? How can I be equipped and empowered to stand? Not to evade persecution, but to endure persecution. Not to, to evade the situation, but to be able to endure, enjoy, and to come out. Jesus is active in the darkness. And he has called us to be active in those places of darkness. In those places where, you know, some may be scared to tread. It's it's funny when Jesus brings the revelation, when the Father gives the revelation to uh, Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And and Jesus asks him, you know, who who do people say that I am? And then who, who do you say that I am? You know where that takes place? Takes place in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And that was a place that was uh, known for the demonic worship that would take place in that place. You could think that it was one of the darkest of dark places in in the region at that time in history. And it's in the darkness that Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's not afraid of the dark. Can I, can I encourage us to not be afraid of those dark realms that God's calling us into? He's calling us into those spaces because we are bringing his light into those areas. There's, there's a psalm in Psalm 139 and verse 7 through to 12. And I love the way it, it captures this whole concept of not being able to escape. His presence, that, that, that is everywhere. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. He is so present. He is so active. And he says, what I I tell you now, what I speak to you now in those moments of darkness, shout when the daybreak comes. I don't know if you've ever heard the testimony of someone who has walked through darkness and stands to proclaim the goodness of God, be it in the midst of it or on the other side of it. That what they heard in the darkness they shout in the daybreak. Yeah. Okay, that other one, Garfield. Battery's, Battery's gone. Didn't like that. You may have a story, you may have a testimony of how you endured, how you walked through the darkness. Do you know what? Someone else may need to hear that. Because what you've seen and what you've experienced and what you have seen of the the Lord in those times can give encouragement to anyone that is walking in similar situations. So that which you've heard in the darkness, proclaim when the daybreak comes. Speak it out so others can hear. Then we see that he says there, just after this, he says, what I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. <laughs> it's not the battery. That was actually me doing that. So I've got, soft, I've got a pretty soft voice. Can you hear me? I've got a pretty soft voice. And I constantly get told, can you please speak up? Or people say, can you please repeat what you just said? Or people say, just agree with me and don't hear what I actually said. <laughs> and so they just nod. And I know you're doing it. So I prefer you to ask me to repeat myself if that takes place. But I have a really soft voice. And uh, some people would say, I have a whisper. But what I've learned from this is that in order to hear a whisper, you need Proximity. If you're going to hear someone's whisper, you actually need to position yourself in a place where you are close to that person. Close enough to that person to be able to hear what they are saying. Walk within whispering distance of Jesus. Walk where you can hear that whisper. Where Position yourself in proximity, close to him so that you can actually hear what it is that he is saying. We can't say, I I can't hear from God and have a closed Bible. Uh, I don't feel like I've got any guidance from the Lord and your Bible is closed on the bookshelf. If you want to hear from him, position yourself in proximity to him. So much of our lives is about the way we walk with Jesus. And so much of the fruit of our lives comes from how we walk with Jesus. How closely will you you maintain relationship with him? How closely will you listen to him? How closely will you obey what he says to you? How closely will you position your life in a way that you can put away every other distraction so that you can focus upon what that whisper is saying? And will you value and treasure that which he whispers to you? Those things that he deposits in your heart, that still small voice. A lot of us probably want this booming, audible thing. God, I need direction in this. <sighs> That's more Darth Vader, wasn't it? <laughs> that was a bad inter. Uh, uh, I don't even know what that was. Be gone. <laughs> we're expecting this kind of booming voice, like, "Mel, start a crash, but don't call it a crash." But it's often as we're we're just following him that we hear this kind of whisper, like he he just nudges us in a certain direction. Or he put something in our hearts and we're like, oh yeah, that's the thought that I hadn't had before or that hasn't come from me. As following so close to him that you can hear every single word that he says. Every single every single word that he releases. Everything that he says to you that you can actually hear it. And then having the courage to, to go and obey it. To walk out that which he says to you. It's also about volume. And we see this in um, Elijah's life. In 1 Kings... Uh, Chapter 19, verse 11 and 13. And he's in a bad place. in a dark place. And uh, the Lord says to him, "'Go out and stand before me on the mountain.' And the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind.' And the wind, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Sometimes we're looking for these huge, big, bang, low, bow, huge, loud moments. And then it says, and after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Where Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. It wasn't in the boom, booming volume. It was in the gentle whisper, and that word was what he needed in that moment to reorient him back into God's purposes. Are you listening for the whisper? And are you positioned in the proximity where you can hear that small voice? But let's talk about volume. Because sometimes in order to position yourself in a place where you can hear that, you need to position yourself away from other places that have louder voices and have louder sounds and have louder information that drowns out that whisper. And I have noticed that God doesn't seem to compete. It's not like, hey, 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 I'm going to speak louder so you hear. It's almost like, I'm just going to keep whispering until you're ready to turn everything else down and show me that you want to hear what I have to say. Because as long as we're choosing other voices and we're choosing other sounds and we're choosing other information, then we're actually showing that we want to hear what that says rather than what God is saying. So will you put yourself in a place where you can actually hear? Maybe you need to move away. Maybe you need to get away. Maybe you need to just take a couple of days to, to quieten yourself, to quieten your soul, to, to, dr- to turn off all of the noise that's around you so that you can hear, you can lean in, you can be intentional to hear what he's saying to you. Maybe you need to put off, turn the TV off, turn off ABC, BBC, whatever else, CD, G, A, CDC, whatever other letters that are consuming. I've obviously got ADHD. Whatever other letters are drowning out the voice of God, turn them out. Are you prepared to do that so that you can hear him? Or do you want him to just kind of, God, can you speak louder? Does anyone else do that? Like, I can kind of hear what you're saying, but I've got the TV on. Can you just talk louder? Can you come over here for a minute? Because I'm kind of busy. Right now, I'm doing all this stuff over here, but I can kind of hear what you're saying, but can you come over here and speak a little bit louder? I think he says, no, 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 you come over here. You come, you position yourself, you show me that you want to hear what I say, and open your heart to whatever it is that he says. So keep yourself in that position. The next part of that passage is where it kind of gets a little bit hairy, a little bit scary, maybe. It says in verse 28, don't be afraid of those who who want to kill your body. It wasn't just can kill your body. They wanted to. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. And I was trying to do the maths on that. And if one sparrow is a copper, no, I didn't get too far with that. And what a flock was, because I couldn't determine how many were in a flock. And so that's a little rabbit warren that I was going on. And that wasn't what God was saying. But he says to them, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. These guys were going into a place of darkness where there was not just the risk of persecution, there was the threat of persecution. That they were not just going to be ridiculed and told to go and sit at a different table at the lunch in their workplace because they believe something different. At risk, they were potentially going to be killed for their faith. And he says, don't Worry about that because they cannot touch your soul. They may be able to destroy your body, but if you are following the will of God and your heart is in Him, then no matter what they do to your body, they cannot touch your soul. And that is what is important. And this is, again, giving some uh, interpretation to what they were about to face, not from a worldly, worldly perspective and not from a temporary perspective, but from an eternal perspective. Because what was going to happen to them there did not affect what would happen to them in the future. They would still be with Jesus, even if they were martyred. Now, can you, can you actually imagine, and some of us in the room may have experienced this, I know, Joyce, you've experienced this, where, where you are potentially going to be killed for your faith. Where, where you could actually lose your life for proclaiming that you follow Jesus. Like physically lose your life. Like that was the threat that they had. And he's like, don't, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid of it. Because even if that happens, they're not going to touch your soul. You're safe with me. Your body might not be, but at the end of the day, that's that's less, less of an issue. He says, and then he goes on to, to give a little bit more uh, of an interpretation of this, and he says, fear only God who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. I don't think that he's saying to them, you have a, I have a fear that if you make a mistake, God's going to destroy you. What he is saying to them is that there is only one who is sovereign over the body and the soul. And that is the creator of the body and the soul. And so you should not fear the one that can just touch the body but we should have this fear, this reverential awe, this, this healthy fear of God who can, is sovereign over and has the power to deal with the soul. Stop fearing man who can only touch the body. Start to have fear of God who is above the body and the soul. We want to talk about having faith and stepping out in faith. Can I I suggest to us that perhaps the issue for many of us in this room is not that we don't have enough faith in God. It's that we have too much faith in man. Because a fear of man will affect your faith in God. Perhaps we do have the faith that is required, a faith of a mustard seed, just a little bit of faith to step out into what everything, anything God calls us to. But maybe we have too much faith in man, too much fear of what people would think, too much fear of what everyone else would say about us, too much fear of being rejected, too much fear of saying the wrong thing and, and being misunderstood, too much fear of being persecuted, too much fear of what man can do to us. Take your eyes off of man and look to Jesus. For he is the one who is sovereign over all. Don't fear man. There's, there's you know, the book of Proverbs which is called Wisdom Literature. It gives us wisdom for life. This thread comes through the whole of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 9, 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of, ho- and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. He says in Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. When our fear or our, even our faith is in man, it becomes a trap to us. We get stuck trying to please trying to avoid, being worried about, being concerned about. But when we have a fear of God, it gives wisdom, it gives understanding, it brings knowledge, it brings revelation, it brings life. And this fear that we talk about, it's, it's, I, I don't believe it's a, a being a scared relationally to, to come close to because intimacy isn't really possible if there is a, if I'm scared of someone it's a healthy fear that positions god in the that acknowledges the position that god has that he is sovereign over all that he is mighty that i'm only alive because he's given me breath it's a respect that puts him above everyone else and everything else it says that even if every other person around me is saying this, if God says it differently, then that is my authority. This fear of the Lord, is, is it's not so much a fear of being with Him. It's a fear of being away from Him. I don't want to live my, my life in a way that is distanced from Him. Because I know that He is the source. He is the one who gives life. He is the one who gives breath. And I worship him as the Lord, not any other person. Again, what's taking place in our world right now, we're seeing these these societal structures start to crash and crumble. Things that people have put their security in, their hope in, their faith in, they're starting to break down. We had, we had it all worked out, didn't we? We could travel the world in a matter of hours. Next minute, there's a the pandemic. We had to adapt, we had to change. People had security in their finances, in their wealth. Next minute, there's a global financial crisis. And all of those things that we thought were bringing us security show us how instable they actually are. Show us how feeble and how broken they are. And guess who's there waiting? God. And he says, I told you not to put your faith in that. <laughs> I told you that wasn't a good idea. Stop looking to man and start looking to Jesus. Stop fearing man and start to have a fear of God. Look at the book of Acts in the early church. You see that this, this, this theme comes through over and over that they had a fear of the Lord, a reverential awe of who he was. And it helped them to be healthy. It helped them to grow. It helped them to do what God called them to. Do not fear man who can only touch the body and not the soul. For he cannot touch your soul. And what is more important at the end of the day is that we are found in him. So as you go, as you go on mission, as you go in life, as you walk in, in, in the call that God has for you, keep your eyes fixed upon him. Don't look to other people. Don't look to those who, you know, you might want affirmation from or those who you're receiving rejection from. I mean, sometimes we consider that stuff in light of what God says to us, because he can bring rebuke through people, he can bring challenge and, and encouragement through people. But ultimately, we need to have our eyes fixed upon him and our hearts positioned to be able to bow the knee to his lordship, to his leadership. And at the end of the day, if you lose your body, but you gain your soul, You have won. Ask the martyrs that have gone before us and given their lives, that have had their blood spilled on different nations' lands for the proclamation of the gospel. I'm sure they would tell you that they have received their reward and it was more than this world could give to them. Now, am I saying to you, run out and go and get killed? No, not unless, that's what you're, you're not unless that's where God leads you to. It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is don't fear even the possibility of that. Just keep your faith in Him. And maybe you do have enough faith in God, it's just you've got a little bit too much faith in man. Don't look to your, your boss. To provide for you, God is your provider. Don't look to your spouse to give security to you. God is your security. Don't look to other people to protect you. God is your protection. Don't look to other people to vindicate you. God is your vindication. He is your redemption. He is your salvation. Everything you need for God and life uh, for, for life and godliness is in Him. So look to Him and Him alone. I want to pray and then I'm going to ask Garfield to just come and pray. And again, to to pray that the Lord would speak to us about what it is he's calling us into. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for um, passages that uh, cause us to question and and to think. But do so from a place where they help us to see and to be aligned to uh, your priorities and your perspective. And Lord, we we hold the perspective that we have right now of a temporary, momentary worldview. We hold it lightly and we ask that you would help us to see things from an eternal perspective. That that which we are doing today has ramifications and fruit in eternity. And that if we keep our hearts before you and we follow you faithfully, that you are able to protect, preserve, and present us on that day. I pray that your church, not just here in Ellenbrook, but, but globally, would return to that place where we have this fear of you. And not that we're scared of you zapping us or destroying us, but that we see you in your rightful place as the Lord of all creation, the Alpha and the Omega, first and the last, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who will always be. And that we would honor you with our lives, bowing the knee in surrender to you and walking humbly with you. I pray that if anything in this year, Lord, that our our personal walk with you, the way that we do life with you, interact with you, engage with you. I pray that it would, it would increase in intimacy and closeness, that those whispers, those words, those things that you want to deposit into us, God, that our hearts would yearn for that, that our hearts would desire that, and that we would, we would move as close as we need to be to you to be able to receive that which you want to give to us. And Lord, I pray that you would, in this time, when it seems like there is a, a blanket of darkness over our community, that you would remind us of the light, of the, the, the light that has come, and the light that shines and that as we look to you and as we consider you and as we uh, stare in your face, into your face, Lord, that your light reflects upon us and reflects into this world. God, I pray that lights would come on in every workplace that is represented in this room today, in every school that is represented in this room today, in every place that, that there is darkness around us, people would see that they have been called to carry light into those places. And Lord, in those moments when they have no words or don't know what to say, we trust what you said before this passage we read, that you will give us the words, that when we're brought before those courts or those, those authorities, that you would give the very words that need to be said. Thank you for helping us to take our eyes off of people and put them back onto you. And God, as we go, we do so not for our own glory, but for your glory and for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.